I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Every time when I introduce you to my guest of the day at Slow Mo, I tell you about their achievements, their ideologies, their titles, what they've studied and how they've gone through life. And I will do that about today's guest in a minute. But I think it's important to start by telling you that today's guest has completely defined me as the person that I am today. If it wasn't for Paula Rizzo, I promise you, you would have never, ever heard about me. You would have never heard a slow-mo. You would have never read Soul for Happy. Paula Rizzo is also a best-selling author. She's an Emmy Award-winning television producer, and for 20 years, she produced health, wellness, and lifestyle segments with a range of top experts, including J.G. Virgin, Jillian Michaels, Deepak Chopra, and also served as a, a senior health producer for Fox News Channel in New York City for over a decade. She is the co-creator of Lights Camera Expert, an online course that is geared towards helping entrepreneurs and authors and experts get media attention She's the creator of the productivity site listproducer.com. She's the best-selling author of Listful Thinking and Listful Living, which basically are books that aim to help you use lists to be more productive, highly successful, and less stressed. Books that have been translated into 12 languages featured across media all over the world, including Oprah.com's list of self-help books that actually help. Paula is full of energy. She's a ton of fun to be with. And as I told you, and I will explain why in a minute, she is the reason I'm with you today. So it is totally my honor and my pleasure to welcome my dear, dear, dear friend, Paula Rizzo. Hello. Hi. How are you? Oh my God. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. It's been like lifetimes have gone by. Truly many lifetimes. Oh my God. It's been what? Uh, last time we met, what, 2018? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So how has life been? I mean, when we last met, you were about to leave Fox. Mm-hmm. and very excited, you know, sparkly with excitement around yes. what you're going to do, <laughs> which is always you. And then I've been following you, even though I apologize for not being in touch. And you have another book and you're all over the place talking about productivity when we're working from home, about productivity in tough times and all of that stuff. Has it been working well? Yes, I have to say, I'm thrilled. I've not looked back. So when you and I were chatting, I was sort of like, you know, the little snail that got too big for the shell and needed a new shell. And so I was looking for my new shell when you and I were together. 
And I found it, I have to say, you know, I loved my career as a TV producer, but it was time for me to move to the next thing. And I had already written my first book, Listful Thinking, and, you know, that was really fun and great. And then, you know, I was moving into the second phase of what else is going to happen in my career, you know, as an author, as a speaker, as a media trainer, because I do a lot of media training and a lot of speaking and things like that, too. And it's been great. And I have to say, you know, I embraced video very early early on because it's part of, you know, what I do. And I was all set up. I was ready to go, you know, when like the pandemic happened and all of that, I was already remote. I already could get on my computer, get on my camera and talk to whoever. So it was, I feel really fortunate that I, I sort of paved the way out. It took a long time. It's not like overnight. You spent 10 years in Fox? Yeah, I was there for 10 years. Before that, I was in local news for close to 10 years. So, you know, I worked in news for close to 20 years and building and building and building sort of a way out without even knowing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start by actually not talking about your incredible work. I'm a huge fan, by the way, anyone listening. I'm a huge fan of Paula as a friend and disclaimer, important for you to understand that. But I'm a massive, massive fan of her work and, I, and you'll know why in a couple of minutes. But I want to start, as I said in the introduction, by saying if there were 10 people that made me in the world, I don't know if you know that, Paula, but you're one of them. Oh. Yeah, and I want to share this very openly with everyone that's listening. So I met Paula when you were responsible for health at Fox. That's right. And we had a call on the phone where your beautiful spirit shines through as always. She asked me questions to prepare for the interview, gave me a couple of hints, you know, and oh, no, no, say this, don't say that. And then I went on the, I don't remember which show on Fox, and then I flopped massively. It was like, I was so grateful that nobody ever saw it. It was horrible. I think the presenter didn't like me. I didn't like the presenter. <laughs> It was not as horrible as you're making it sound. It was not that horrible. You know, it was really not my best. Anyway, it happens, <laughs> as you can imagine. What happened afterwards, I think, was probably one of the most important events in my life. Paula afterwards calls me and, you know, in her very professional way, says, I'm calling you in my personal capacity. I'm not supposed to be doing this as a TV producer, but let me tell you the five things that you did wrong. You remember that? That you could have improved. I think it was a positive. <laughs> yeah, it's the positive. <laughs> anyway, long story short, a week later, I was doing an interview in Channel 4 News in the UK. And I, it was as if Master Paula was standing right in front of me. Every time they asked me a question, I responded in the exact structure that she told me. And that was the interview that went to 87 million viewers in four days. It went super viral. And I will tell everyone, if it wasn't for Paula's coaching, you would have never, ever heard of me. You would have never heard of Soul for Happy. You would have never heard of Ali. It was all you. I'm super grateful, eternally grateful. But I want to understand what went on in your heart or mind. Did you do this with everyone? Do you do this with all the boys, Paula? Is that what you do? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have to say, I'm so grateful to have helped you get your message out into the world. And I have chills hearing you talk about that because I remember that too. I remember it very vividly. And I still talk about it, you know, when I give presentations and because it was such a, for me, a moment that I saw of a missed opportunity where I knew you could do it. 
You just weren't doing it exactly as you could to make the full impact. So I knew if I just gave you a few pointers and one of them was telling your story like it's the first time anyone has ever heard it. That I remember being one of the big messages because you had said and told the story so many times. And my words to you were, yeah, but my audience hadn't yet heard it. Yes, it I remember that so time. vividly. So vividly, mm -hmm. I told you, I told you, I, I feel that I'm a fraud because I've said this before and you said, no, you didn't say it to me. And that yes. was so eye-opening to me that even though I sometimes have to repeat parts of my story, it's actually quite new for you. Right, exactly. I'd never heard it. You're, you need to make the impact for me. And so when you think of that audience in that way and that for you, that light bulb went off and then you were off and running. Yeah. So I was thrilled to be able to, to help you catapult the book and, and your brand. The other one that I will never forget is how you told me not to bury the lead, where basically you said, he asked you, what's the happiness equation? And what did you answer? You explained the long story to him. When he tells you what's the happiness equation, you respond by saying happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. Boom. And if they cut the recording, then you've delivered your message. If they don't, you can expand. And man, I was like, okay, master. Okay, master. <laughs> And, you know, since then, it's so amazing because having that conversation with you helped me to develop how I teach this to other people. Now I call it the accordion method. I know. So you I have a that. short, a medium, and a long. That, and you and I created it without even realizing it. That's how I was teaching you how to do it. And it is so impactful to know, have a headline. Just come out and say it in 10 seconds. Yes, but you haven't answered my question, you little angel. Why, ah! did, <laughs> why did you do that? I knew that you could have this great message go further if you connected with people in a bigger way. And there were so many experts who had pitched me through the years or, you know, their books came across my desk and they just didn't have it. Do you know what I mean? Like they just didn't have that connection piece and they weren't very good on camera. Their message or their book may have been good, but they didn't sell it the right way. And guess what? People didn't get to hear their message. They didn't get to have their life changed because I was the gatekeeper and I knew what the media wanted. And, you know, we wanted someone who's compelling and exciting and to give us what we want to know right away. And you had that. It was just needing a little bit of a push. Polish, yes. polish, polish. A little polish. Dust him up. Yes. Do you believe in karma, Paula? I do. I do. I wish for all my good karma to go to you. Oh, thank you. And I say that from deep inside my heart, I owe you for the rest of my life. And I'm so grateful, so grateful that I met you. What's more important is then, then we went out for coffee for me to thank you. And you yes. were the most pleasant human being on the planet. I mean, honestly, until today, you're just so upbeat. It's like life is always good for Paula somehow, right? And at the time you were going through that transformation of, what do I do? I have a very successful career. I'm in the exact right place that I wanted to be in for 20 years. And yet you were changing. But unlike everyone that talks to me about this from the point of view of like, oh my God, life is horrible. You were like, ah, I'm so excited. I can do this and I can do that. <laughs> Why? Where did that come from? Why are you always so upbeat about life? 
I do have a very positive outlook. My mother is very positive. And so I feel like that has worn off on me through the years and, and knowing it's, you know, there are hardships and there are things that you're going to go through in your career and your life and, you know, but it's always going to get better because it always has for me. You know, it's always like looking back and saying there were struggles in my career or there were things, jobs I didn't get that I thought I wanted. And then it ended up working out in a way that I didn't know why that happened. And I was upset about it at the time and I was mad, but then something else happened that was terrific. That was great, you know? And so I keep that in the back of my mind to try and lead me along as much as I like to plan and I like to have my lists and my checklists. I know. Which is very important. Yes. <laughs> I am trying to go with the flow in a bigger way. But, you know, when you and I first met, I was thinking about what will I do next? What is my next big thing? And I was really excited about it because I knew that although I had such a successful career and I loved it and I, and I had you know, a really great experience, it was holding me back, staying there, being there every day, working on those projects. As much as I enjoyed it, I couldn't grow past that. And I knew I needed to move on to be able to do that. It was scary, obviously. I remember when you and I were talking about it, I was like, I'm excited and terrified all at the same time. <laughs> Would you advise people to do that? I mean, of course, now is a very difficult time. Maybe now is not the time to take big risks. But, you know, looking back at that move that you did, you know, from the security and the success and the title and all of that, is following your passion actually worth it? It is. And it does not happen overnight. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. So if you're thinking about it now, there are baby steps you can take. You don't have to jump right now and say, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to change my career. I'm going to do all these things. Start putting little things out there, little feelers. I mean, I've been writing about productivity for the past 10 years. I started with a blog writing about lists and how much I loved them and how they made me more efficient. That then turned into my book four years after that. You know, then my second book came out, you know, just about a year ago. So this has been a long time coming. And it's interesting because people are seeing me now, seeing that I have, you know, these two books and I'm doing courses for LinkedIn. And they're like, wow, you really look at you. Everything's exploded. And it's like, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years. It's not new. Actually, this is one of my biggest tips for everyone. It's that snapshot in time when you look at someone and you go like, oh, I'm so unlucky. They're so lucky. No, no, no. There is not just luck. I mean, of course, luck exists, but there is that perseverance. There is that other part of the movie where you just saw that one slide of it and thought, oh, that's easy. But then there were so many other slides that were so difficult. So I will tell everyone again openly and trust my recommendations, please. I am a a mega list maker, by the way. Uh, so I love to be organized. I love to be organized. But Paula gets list making down to an art form. Seriously, and, and listful thinking, I didn't see listful living yet. Actually, I didn't have the chance to read it. But listful mm -hmm. thinking is not just how to make lists. It's actually how to get from where you are to where you want to be in life in a very, very, very efficient, stress-free way. And I think that is the key word. So massively recommended by me, I would say. But I want to understand what's so fun about lists. I mean, you, <laughs> you, seem, you seem to be so excited about them, Paula. I know. Well, lists changed my life. 
And when something changes your life, you talk about it until you can't talk anymore. And I was very efficient at work. You know, I was able to get stuff done, be done on time, not feel as stressed as, you know, typical TV producer would feel, I think. And I wasn't feeling that same feeling at home. And I noticed what was slipping through the cracks was that I wasn't really using the tool that I knew to be so helpful was the list making because I thought, oh, that's stuff I do at work. I don't want to be working at home. But then I wasn't as efficient. I wasn't able to put the right things on my list. And that's that's, I think, a big thing here is that a lot of times we put all these things on our list that, you know, other people want you to do or you think you should do. But are you thinking through what you truly want to do, what you really want to put on your list to better your life, better yourself, better your family? Most people don't look at lists that way. I love to do lists. That's part of it. But this is beyond that. What is a list to you? I mean, is it just uh, like here are the seven things I'm going to do today? It's my intention. Interesting. It's my intention of what is it that I want to do? What is it that I have the time and the resources to do if it's something that, you know, is task oriented? Or is it something that a goal, right? Something that I want to become, something that I want to learn, something that I want to do? That to me, without writing down the mechanism for how I'm going to do it, doesn't happen. You don't actually do it. So you're 33% more likely to do something if you write it down. And a list is no different. And so you write your lists in the morning when you wake up? Or I know actually you said you write them before you go to bed. Yeah, I write them. It's the last thing I do before I close my office for the day. And I find that to be a really nice practice, especially when I started working for myself and working from home, because you can work all day, every day, because your desk is always there. Your computer is always there. Your phone is always with you. So I like to use it as sort of my shutdown ritual where I go through the next day in my mind and I look at my calendar and I look at all the things that I need to do. And I write out every single, and I keep it by hand. And I did that when I was a TV producer. I do it now that I work for myself and I just go through everything so that when I come in in the morning, when I sit at my desk, I already know what my intention is for the day. I already know what I want to get done or what I need to get done. And then if other things come in, I can prioritize it more easily because I have a roadmap. I already know what I had set for myself to do. But give me examples of things that go there. You need to answer this email. You need to contact this person. You need to complain to the bank or whatever that is. Yes. And I'm very specific. Yeah. So I don't just write email, you know, reply to emails. I will write specifically, write to Mo about his podcast. So it's very, very clear in a glance what I need to do. Because the second you give yourself too many choices or it's vague, you don't do it. It just becomes, oh, well, what is that again? I think I'll do something else. And then you just sort of veer off. (laughs) So you have to be very clear with yourself. And then do you include things like, I will, uh, I need to go and buy a coffee. I need to get myself an ice cream. I need to rest a little bit. The fun stuff. Yes. Yes. So I do have two lists every day. One is a home list and one is a work list. And I keep them separately so I don't jumble them around. And it's easy for my mind to see what's what. And it's very clear. But I do have a list of things that I like to do if, for instance, someone cancels an appointment with me. So instead of just jumping into doing the next thing on my to-do list, 
I'll take a break. I'll look at that as a pause moment. So turning sort of a bad thing, you're, you're mad that someone canceled on you, didn't show up or whatever it is, into a positive, into something that, you know, maybe I make myself a cup of tea. Maybe I read a chapter of a book that I'm excited about. So I have a list of those types of little things that, you know, they would call it self-care, which is such an overused word now, but using those little things to rejuvenate me throughout the day so you're not just working, working, working. I don't know if you would be open to share your personal story. So you were not always stress-free, were you? No. <laughs> no. Would you care to share with us what happened? Of course, yes. And I, about a year after my first book, Listful Thinking, came out, I was saying yes to everything. I was, you know, promoting my book. I was doing every speaking engagement, networking event. And I wasn't listening to myself, to my body. And I had this pain in my side for two days. I waited two days to go to the hospital to find out that my appendix had burst, which I know. And you know, I know this is very serious. You know, this unfortunately is something you know all too well. And I didn't realize how serious a ruptured appendix is. I thought I had food poisoning and I was too busy to go to the hospital. I was like, I have too many things to do. I just, I don't want to go to the ER and be sitting in there for hours and they're going to just like send me home and tell, you know, well, I waited too long. I got in there, you know, emergency surgery. I was in the hospital for nine days. I was out of work for six weeks. It took me over a year to recover. Thankfully, I recovered. Most people's appendixes don't burst because they go to the hospital in time, mostly, or there's not a medical error that happens during surgery. And I didn't really know how horrible this could be or was. And from that moment on, you know, that changes your entire priority. Everything that was on my list had to come off. Someone else had to do it or, you know, whatever it was. I was working full-time as a producer. And guess what? The world still spun. Yes. I didn't have to do any of those things. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like, wait a second, all this pressure, all this stuff that I put on myself that I had to do, that I was the only one who could do it. That was my ego talking. Ah, oh, big statement. Go, go, go. Yes. So as soon as I got that and I saw, okay, well, my priority now is health and getting better. And when you're that sick, washing my face for the day was the big activity that I did. Bending over to wash my face was an ordeal. So when you see how different your life is, when you look through the lens of your priority, it makes you choose really wisely what you allow onto that list and what you let back into your life. So from that moment on, I was very intentional about boundary setting, about what I'd say yes to, what I'd say no to. You know, you slowly get back into the real world where then you have to remind yourself because you get fast again and you, you start promoting things again and you have another book that comes out. And I had to take a step back and say, no, no, I don't want to overdo it to the point where I'm not listening to myself. Because I had been a health producer for 10 years. I should have known better when there was a dull pain above my belly button. I know what that is. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're fooled into it. But before we go there, I, ha I have to say, I can't imagine you being that relentless, stressed 
guys, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to put some videos of Paula. You just have to <laughs> see Paula. It's just like she's a 16-year-old, 14-year-old, jumping up and down with energy and <laughs> totally chill, right? I can't picture you in that space. But but the idea is that we we get dragged into it. Even I, who is very conscious about this, I sort of, you know, Monier would call me and say, hey, they want you to speak at this event. It's a thousand people. And I go like, sure. Do we have something before it or after it? And he says, no, 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 it's just free. So it's stress-free. And then that day, the universe decides three other things have to happen. And, you know, my daughter maybe is, needs to talk to me about something. And one of my best friends wants to curse me. And, you know, there are things that, <laughs> that simply pops up. Well, how do you deal with those? The boundaries are super important, especially now when people are working at home and working remotely, for sure. And what I do, and it's a lot of what I talk about in the second book, Listful Living, is to design your day, design your life in a way that you know will not stress you out. So first is to go to a moment where you were super stressed out and think and remember that because we forget, Mm. we forget. And so go back and bring yourself to that moment and then really make the distinction that you never want to do that again, that you don't want to feel that way. And it could be as simple as how many video calls can you do in a day? And when I first started my business, I must have done seven or eight video calls in one day that first week that I was working for myself. I was so drained. I had to lay down. I didn't remember what I talked about. I didn't remember who I talked to. It was very inefficient. And now I know I can do at max three or four video calls because I'm, as you said, I am high energy. This is how I am in person. (laughs) And so I know I can't do that. If I do it, then I will be exhausted the rest of the day. So having those boundaries for yourself to be able to say, no, I can't add anything to that day. I can't do another networking event that week because I already have two and that's my limit. So the more that you have these sort of rules or boundaries for yourself, the better, but you have to know yourself first. So it backs up into what is it that you need and how can you give that to yourself? Do you do that on your personal relationships as well? So Does your husband get a number of hours a day? Does your home get that much time? Do your friends get another amount of time and so on? I do. I do. I mean, and there are times that sometimes you can't help it and things change and you have to throw everything out and, you know, start from scratch or, you know, that didn't work out for that day. But I am very intentional about where I spend my time because there's only so much energy to go around. And so where are you going to spend that energy? How are you going to then feed yourself really? And... I think about setting myself up for success. So what am I better at doing in the day? What am I better at doing in the evening? And then I make sure to do those things then. I always tell people, don't become a morning person if you're not a morning person because you're going to be cranky and you're going to be resentful. And I know because I tried it. I thought, oh, this is what all the productivity books tell you to do. All the best CEOs get up at 4 a.m. and do all these things. And I was like, this doesn't work for me. This is terrible. Yeah, I can get up at 4 a.m., but... I think that would be a very bad day for everyone. You know, it's not going yes! <laughs> exactly. to be a happiness message that day. I mean, by 6 a.m., <laughs> I start complaining. You seem to also, one of my favorite tips is it's better to get it done than to make it perfect. Yes. Tell me a bit more about that. 
Yeah, I think it's my background as a TV producer that really ingrained that into my brain because you have deadlines that come up so fast and you have to have something ready to go. You know, like your show is going to come up at, you know, whatever time, 5, 6 p.m. You better have something. And that has sort of taken the perfectionism out of everything. How can we make this the best it can possibly be and then move on? That you're not sitting there really going crazy over, oh, how can I make this better? How can sometimes you just got to get it out there? Seth Godin says, just ship it. That's his thing. Get it out the door, get it going. And I believe that. I mean, I think that's how I've been able to write both of my books, all the blog posts that I write. You have to get stuff out into the world for people to see it. If you hold it and it's just for you, yeah, and you're what constantly use does that do? trying to perfect it and add a little bit here and a little bit there. But eventually, at the end of the day, right. it would take you 80% more time to deliver 10% more improvement, and it's really not worth it. Let's shift a little. And I also want to talk about your other side of work, you know, how you helped me and how you helped others. But, but for a minute, I want to talk about the long term. Most of your focus, when you talk about lists in public, at least, you talk about Today, here is what I'm going to do today. Here is how I'm going to be efficient today. Yes. But your method is about how am I going to achieve meaning? How am I going to live a life that I want? How do you transfer yes. this from the short term to the long term? Yeah, it's important to get the practice of the list, the daily list, the idea of having that serve you and being able to use that on a short term because you can see results really fast. And so you know that it works. And then being able to use that same principle to be able to say, okay, so where is it that I want to broaden my life? Where do I want my life to go? Even when I was leaving my job, I was thinking through, what do I want my life to look like? I want to travel, you know, at least once a month. I want to be able to do, you know, speaking engagements. I want to be able to do all of these things. And I had a list of those things that I wrote out. And from there, it's being able to actualize those. It's not just enough to write it down and say, oh, I wish my life was like this. You have to actually do things to get to that point. And I'm fortunate because I love to learn. So I'm always reading books. I'm always watching courses. I'm always trying to improve and also hold you back sometimes if you do too much of that and you don't actually do. So I think it's very much about noticing yourself, you know, most in a way that you would meditate, being able to say, notice the way that you are. Just not judging it, but notice how you are. Notice what you're saying yes to. Notice what you're letting into your life. Notice what you feel like at the end of the day. And saying to yourself, is that what I want? Is that enough? Is that what I would like? And if it's not, what is it that you'd like? And then how do you sort of bring those two together? So let's take a couple of examples. Some examples that are maybe mainstream. I want to lose those extra four pounds and I want to start preparing lists that get me to be healthy. How would that list? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are things you can do today, you know, at 9 a.m. go to work out. But how do you do this over the long term? Yeah, I think also it's important to write how you want to feel. What are those feelings? I've always done this, too, when I'm particularly like upset about something. I would write down how I feel in that moment and just be a list of words. You know, just to get it out of my brain and down on paper, I think it's important to feel if you were to lose that weight, because it's the feeling that motivates you. It's that feeling of easiness and, you know, being effortless and you know, not being restricted. Those are the things that will get you to your goals faster. The feelings, not necessarily the number, not necessarily, oh, I want to see this number. 
on the scale, but there are things that you must do to be able to do that. So are there things that you would like to do that you can put down on a list and then incorporate that into your day somehow? Uh, I have a friend who, you know, she writes lists very intentionally and she does that. Like if she's working on a big goal, she makes sure that there's something from that goal list on her to-do list every day that moves her closer to that goal. The same thing for authors. How many people have you met who've said, oh, I've been working on a book for years, or, oh, I'd love to write a book, or I wish I could do that. You can. Writing, write book on your to-do list won't do it. You have <laughs> to write the tiny pieces of what it takes to put that book together on your list every day and move closer and closer and closer to it. Totally agree. So I always give that tip to anyone that tells me about being an author or writing a book, I say, basically, it's a job. You know, there are a mm -hmm. few tasks that you have to do every day. You have to show up to work at a certain point in time. You have to sit down. You have to work on it. I try to do two to three hours a day, three to four days a week. Wow. Yeah. And surprisingly, when I do, I actually progress very, very quickly. But then when you do that, it's a job. And some days you sit in front of the computer and you go like, hmm, <laughs> nothing's coming. And I actually force myself to stay in front of the computer, yeah. even if nothing's happening. And then surprisingly, inspiration pops up and I write about something, you know, sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not, but it is about that. It's breaking it into those little things. And I think that makes a difference. You know, the movie, The King's Speech? Yes. Yeah. You're the kind of magician. It's not about the speech really, but you're really, really, really good at helping entrepreneurs, CEOs, whatever, present themselves in a way that actually works, gets the audience to aspire to be with them, to want their products and so on. You want to share a bit about that? I'm interested in the work side, but also in the personal side of life. We'll come back to that in a minute, because I think for most of us, we don't actually present ourselves in the way that we deserve to be presented. Yes. And it's all about connection. And you can make that connection even if you're using a camera, even if you're not in person with other person, even if you can't see their reaction, you can make a connection. So I always tell people to be thinking about what is it like for the audience in the same way that you and I Remember, talked about, yeah. you know, yeah. doing that. It's what is the audience seeing? What are they getting out of it? I mean, if you think about reporters or anchors or people that you watch on TV, you feel like you know them because you see them all the time or, you know, you like them, you think they're funny, whatever it is, but you know their personality, you can see them. So I always try to get people to show themselves through connection, right? Through the camera screen to be able to really get people to like you. That's the vehicle we have. And it's not that everyone is always going to be in front of a, a live audience. There are going to be people there and you can get their live feedback. So you have to show up as you would, no matter who's in the room, even if there's no one there. And it takes practice. So that's part of it. That's part of, you know, the media training that I do with people is I, you know, I give them jobs to do. I give them videos to create <laughs> and they get comfortable. I love to give homework, but they get more comfortable <laughs> presenting to the camera or to presenting, you know, if they're doing media or if they're doing podcasts or panels or whatever it is to show up and to be of service to the audience. That is always what I'm talking about, to be of service to the audience. It is not about you. It is about them. So the second you sort of change that, 
you stop thinking about, oh, my lighting is not good and my microphone doesn't sound right. And, you know, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about the audience. Does that apply to being with my friends, being with my loved ones? It's not about me. It's about them. Does that work? I think it's a nice way to think about it. I think it's a nice way to be of service in all that you do in every way that you show up to be able to think in terms of what other people need. How can I give that to them so that I'm the most helpful I can possibly be and memorable? Well, I will say uh, normally we speak for 45, 50 minutes with guests, but because of Paula's energy, we spoke for 40. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell everyone listening before I ask the very last question, I will tell everyone listening to do me a favor. I've never asked you for a favor on slow-mo before. Paula Rizzo is one of my favorite people on the planet. Like I totally in my heart owe you for the rest of my life. And so I'm going to ask everyone here, if I've ever done anything for you, please do me a favor and tell the whole world about Paula. She doesn't actually need the promo, but it's my way of me saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. When I post my promo videos about this episode on social media, tell the whole world about it. Write a nice comment for Paula to know how much we love her. Like really make this something, okay? Because I adore you so much, Paula. I really- Thank you. You know, of all of the people I've met in New York City, You're my absolute favorite human being. Ah, There you go. Amazing. You heard it here first. I love it. Well, thank you for your generosity and for opening your audience to me. And I'm just so thrilled that our paths crossed, you know, through your book. That's my next question. Are we ever going to meet again? Is this a plan at all? It's like, what's going on here? So what's next for you? I know. I know. I, I don't know. It's so strange, right? The world feels much closer, though, I do feel. People are much more open to doing video calls and, be, you know, it doesn't have to always be in person. So I feel yes. like I've been able to have connections with people longer term, which is always great. But yes, I would love to be in person sometime. It might have to be in New York or maybe Miami. No, we'll no, see. No, no. It's, it's going to be in Miami. I go to Miami every year. Then, you know, until COVID, I used to go for the World Happiness Summit. So stay in ah, Miami, stay in Miami. I will. But, yeah. Tell us before we go, which I think is one of the best tips I heard from you recently about working from home. Working from yes. home, I heard a statistic that says the average American works three hours more since COVID started because of working from home, but that doesn't mean they're more productive. They're not three hours more productive. Working from home can be very, very stressful. Yes. What would your tips be? It is very much about setting your day up for success. So knowing yourself, what is it that you can get done before lunch? What can you get done after lunch? And then stacking your day that way. I look at everything like a newscast. So that's what I would do for myself. If I know that I'm more creative, I can write better in the morning or I have fewer distractions, I will make sure that I block the time to do that and really set the time aside for yourself. If it's the evenings, then you do it then. But also the most important part of all of this is knowing how long it takes to actually do something. Interesting. I think in seconds. Because TV producers care about if it's five seconds or six seconds or seven seconds. Most people don't think in seconds. But I want you to try to think in at least minutes. How many minutes does it actually take you to do the tasks that you do every day? 
time yourself. I know, you know, for instance, putting my makeup on, if I'm just doing it real quick, it's 10 minutes. And I know because I have timed myself. So I know exactly how much time I need before a call or before whatever to be able to leave for myself. Most of the time, people have a very warped perception of time. And so they think, oh, it'll just take five minutes. And then 35 minutes, they're still working on the same project. So being able to know that about yourself, that really helps to be able to know, okay, I know I have to write this report. It's going to take me 45 minutes. I need to set aside a block of 45 and be focused to be able to get it done. Do you end work? I think one of the challenges we all have when working from home is there doesn't seem to be boundaries. There is you know, it's yes. like you wake up, the computer is there. So you sort of drag your feet, sit in front of it and start working. And then, you know, at 8 p.m. you go like, okay, I can do an hour more, right? I'm still sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. The boundaries are important. Do you limit yourself? Do you start at a certain time and end at a certain time? I do. I limit myself. And I, I just have a course on LinkedIn learning about boundary setting and protecting your time. That's pretty brand new because everyone can use help with it, myself included. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. I slip sometimes too, but I know that boundary setting for myself is really helpful. And I did it after the first year of working for myself. I knew what I was doing was not working. I had opened my calendar, you know, Monday through Friday from 9 to 6 p.m. Anybody who wanted to talk to me, book some time in my calendar. That doesn't work for me. So now I'm very limited in the times I do. For the most part, I do a call at 1130, give myself a lunch break. I do a call at 2, and then I do a call at 3.30. That way I have some boundaries there so I can get other work done. If a call runs over, I'm not running to the next call and showing up frantic. I don't want to be half thinking of the last thing I was just doing. So I'm very intentional about how I set up my schedule, what days I do, what Fridays I keep for writing and for creativity. Mondays I keep for sort of looking to see what's coming in the week. And if I have to do any work on, you know, some slides for a presentation I'm giving or, you know, something writing, you know, something that someone else has asked me to do. And then during the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's when I'm meeting with clients. That's when I'm doing media. That's when I'm doing the work. And sometimes it changes, you know, depending on other people's schedules or whatever it is, but I try to stick to that. Okay. So everyone you're going to include in your calendars, slow-mo on Sundays and Thursdays, because that's important. So you put that in your calendar. Do you ever slow down? Exactly. <laughs> do, you, do you ever slow down, Paula? <laughs> I do. I think being near the beach now that I'm in Miami is really nice because it's a really good reminder to just go to the beach. There's actually very little cell service. So you can't scroll your, you know, your phone. You have to just relax and read a book or just stare, just sit there and stare at the ocean. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And you are amazing. And I am so, so grateful you showed up in my life and uh, so grateful that we had this conversation today. I am as well. Yeah. Soon we will be having coffee on the beach in Miami together. Yes, exactly. I love that. To be continued, for (laughs) sure. To be continued. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, Stay happy.